Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hear the word of the Lord. And so great to be with you once again as we come to our time in the Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, please open our minds and our hearts to discern the power of your Word, which is Christ Jesus. And we pray that Word will dwell in us richly, bear great fruit, and we would be encouraged and edified for the vocations and the tasks to which you have called us. And we pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Um, when it comes to ser- opening sermon illustrations, I basically have two types. Uh, quotes and stories from the musical Les Mis and things that happened to me in the army. Now, unfortunately, uh, our sister uh, Jill Firth gave us some um, Les Mis quotes yesterday. <laughs> so I feel like that's taken, been taken from me. So my, the only entree I have for you uh, are things that happened uh, in the army. And... Um, One thing about being in the army, you always have to work with these young officers that um, vary uh, radically both in their maturity and their competency in what they they do things. So imagine a 21-year-old basically leaving a man or woman leading a group of about 30 or 40 men into combat, that type of thing. And there's all sorts of things going from people saying like, you know, big egos to like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm only 21. And... uh, but every year, a, a young officer gets an annual report written by their commanding officer, and that's called a PR-19. And the PR-19s all get sent and collated uh, to, the, to the defence personnel area. Um, and someone who worked in defence personnel um, collected and collated some of the more colourful things commanding officers had said about young officers. And they were normally very non-flattering. Things like, this young officer will go far in his career the further from me, the better. <laughs> or would be, this young officer would be out of his depth in a car park puddle. Um, and my favourite one, my favourite one, 
The only reason anyone would follow this young man into combat would be out of a morbid curiosity. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty damning. But in a sense, Paul, Paul kind of does something similar here. I mean, he, he kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, imagine if you work for a boss and a boss says, look, you know, my employee, you know, Bill or Angela, she's wonderful. She, uh, they're a great uh, asset in the office environment. They've done so much for this company. They've, you know, really created uh, and added to the culture we have around us which is amazing because when they first got here, they were an insufferable snot that no one could stand and they would only do any work when cornered like a rat in a trap. <laughs> I mean, kind of what Paul is doing, he shows us how far we've come from, okay? He's shown us we've come from spiritual death, you know, being lost, being mired in the world of evil and sin and everything, and now we're co-seated with Christ. He's giving us kind of like our origin story, if you like, to show us the great riches and the lavish blessings that we have in Christ. And if we break this passage down, I, I think we, we can do it into to three parts. We can see that Paul diagnoses what our spiritual problem was. He then gives us the prognosis of how serious that problem was. And then he tells us of the procedure of how we got cured. So first of all, the diagnosis, what was our problem? What was our spiritual problem in the beginning? And we see that in verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, he says, so Paul starts off by saying our former state was not merely one of impairment. We were dead. We were dead. And the symptom of that, the odor of that, is our sin and our rebellion of God. And this sort of, this death, it's, it's actually more of a verb. It manifests itself in certain ways. It means a hostility towards God, a selfishness, a worship of self. You could even say it's, it's, a, it's a coldness to spiritual things. And then, and then it gets worse. I don't know, but I've noticed once upon a time, people could be cold or indifferent to Christianity or to the things of God. Now I find people are just outright hospital. You know, the sort of unbelieving world is somewhere between apathetic and outright hostile to the things of God. That is a symptom of death. And this death continues. It gets worse. The decay, the decrepitness, the odor of it, the stench of this death gets worse and worse. That's the state of the... That's what we were without Christ. This state of death. But often we don't know it. We did not know what we were dead. But we were. And where does this death come from? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verses 2 and 3. He says, you know, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. We could sum up by saying the cause of our spiritual death was what Martin Luther called the trinity of evil. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world represents all of the anti-God forces around us. 
Everything that displaces God from being loved and prized as our glorious creator and redeemer and put something in his place. Then there's the devil, the rebellious supernatural powers of this age. We become his willing servant for what we do. And then we have the flesh following and gratifying our own desires. Desires that may not be wholesome, desires that may not be helpful, desires that may be even inhumane and drive us in the directions of the anti-God forces of this world. That is the nature of the spiritual death, being enthralled, being controlled, being owned, being willingly enslaved by the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is a prior state. That is the diagnosis. The diagnosis is death and enslavement to flesh desire and the devil. But how serious is this death? I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit like, you know, the Princess Bride. There's, you know, there's, there's dead and there's mostly dead. <laughs> were we just mostly dead or were we completely dead? Well, Paul gives us the answer. I think he definitely leaves on you are the completely dead side. You were on the completely dead side. If death is a spectrum, you're on the (laughs) completely dead, the completely dead side. And he uses some phrases here. He says, you know, we were by nature children of wrath. I mean, that's a horrible thing. I mean, by nature, children of wrath. You know, it reminds me. Of that, uh, of that old story of the scorpion and the frog, where a scorpion says to the frog, hey, Mr. Frog, can you give me a, a lift across the pond? And the frog says, I'm not putting a scorpion on my back. You got that big, nasty, stingy thing on there. I'm not carrying you across the lake. It's a bad idea. And the scorpion says, hey, look, why would I sting you? Literally, I mean, if I sting you, then you're going to sink and I'm going to drown. I mean, it's, it's not in my self-interest to sting you, is it? And the frog, who's a pretty nice, pretty nice frog as frog goes, says, okay, sounds, sounds like a fair deal. Okay, I'll help you across, but you don't sting me. I'm going to sting you. So, they go, so the frog is carrying the scorpion along the pond to get to the other side. And all of a sudden, what does the frog feel in his back? The sharp, stinging sensation. The scorpion has stung him. And the frog turns to the scorpion and says, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. Scorpion said, I don't know. It's just in my nature. That is the human problem. We are by nature destructive of God, destructive of ourselves, destructive around us. Now, you may, you may be looking at yourself saying, look, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect, but I'm not exactly scorpion bad as things go. No one, when I walk in the room, people don't say, oh, here comes Mike the scorpion. Okay, no, I'm not, I'm not that bad. But you've got to remember the things that could very, very easily press you into going full Monty evil barbarian, they are not far out. And so if you don't believe me, look what's happening in the Ukraine. Okay? The line between civilization and un- unrelenting human evil. There is a thin line. Now, we, we, don't, we don't see that society breakdown. We haven't lived in a, in a part of the world where the, the, the basic laws of human decency just completely break down and the strong prey upon the weak. 
We, we don't experience that. We don't expect that. But that is how it is in a lot of places in the world. And that is even within you. You can easily internalize your own scorpion. Okay. So that, that is how, that's how, how much bad it is. We are by nature children of wrath. We are, Paul says, sons and daughters of disobedience. That is the prognosis. It is bad. So what have we seen so far? The diagnosis is death. The prognosis is it's on the extreme end of death. We are by nature children of wrath, estranged from God on account of the world and of the flesh and the devil. So what is the solution? Well, we see the solution in verse 4, beginning in verse 4, don't we? Paul adds the word but. I love, I love that. The, I tell you, the word but is, is one of the best words in Paul's letters. Paul will say things like, you are under judgment. You are lost in paganism and everything. But God does something. He means God is the one who is going to be the game changer. You did not extract yourself out of it. You did not resurrect or resuscitate yourself. You did not descorpionize yourself. No, the solution, the salvation comes from God. He says, but God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich and mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated him with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And in case you missed the main point, again he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What God offers us in the face of this death, destruction, our vicious and evil nature is the miracle of resurrection in Christ. And we, we need to wrestle with, with how incredible this is. I mean, there's different metaphors you can use for salvation, something like this. And I've heard popular evangelists talk about things. You imagine you've, you've fallen off a boat. Okay, and you're drowning there in the waters and in the whirlpool of your own sin and dread and judgment and selfishness. And then there is the the boat, the SS gospel, and someone throws you a life preserver and they say, look, just take hold of the life preserver. And you're you're doubtful. What if it's what if it's pirates? What what if it's what if it's, you know, Bill Gates owned cruise ship. I don't, I don't want to get on a boat with that guy. I mean, you know, I mean, you kind of, you know, should I take hold of this? You know, who could it be? Now that, you know, but you've got to make that decision. You've got to reach out and take hold of the life preserver and be pulled back onto the boat. But I, I, I think that analogy falls down because I, I don't think that the problem was we've merely fallen into the waters and are drowning in our own sin. It's worse than that. We drowned. We sank to the bottom of the ocean and we are dead as we can be. We, are, we were dead to God. We were dead to the things of God, to the Spirit's leading and unctions. And what we need is not someone to throw us a life preserver and say, just, just reach out, man. Just reach out and take hold. Okay? Because dead people do not move. 
if you haven't noticed. What we need instead is God to go from his own heavenly yacht, we can call it, to descend into the very depths of our humanity, to take our corpse, to raise us up to the surface and to breathe life into us. That is what has happened. That is the story of salvation. That is the death to life. It's not, it's not Jerry Maguire. You know the movie Jerry Maguire? You know, when I first started preaching the sermon, Jerry Maguire was a recent movie. <laughs> That's how long I've been doing this. <laughs> Some of you are going to know what the Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is a movie with Tom Cruise. Now I have to explain who Tom Cruise is. No, Tom, Tom Cruise about a guy who's like an agent for sporting players. And his big thing was, help me help you. Help me help you. That is not the gospel. It's not God to meet you halfway. It's not God helping you help yourself, helping him help you. No, it is, it is God raising you up and giving spiritual life from death. Now, I'll be honest with you. Some of you may have experienced the spiritual death differently. Okay. Now, may, may, maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home where you learned the things of God. You were baptized into the family of faith. But you, 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 know, you went through your own moments. You had your own, you had your own sin in your heart. You had your own moments of rebellion, but you came to the point where you made your faith your own. Okay, that's good. But some of us did not grow up like that. Some of us grew up in darkness and we were part of the darkness. And we have seen the evil that men and women do because we really did it. Okay? And in that sense, the, the sense of coming from death to life is even more radical because of where you've come from. I've heard some good testimonies. I've heard some good testimonies of people who were really lost, who are really despicable, broken characters. And then when you see you come through, that is what grace is. It's not merely the enablement. It is death to life. And, and that, that is what we've got to remember. It is, it is the story of resurrection and the, the greatest reversal. You know, I love me a good Cinderella story, rags to riches, but you have, been, you have gone from death to co-enthroned with the vice regent of the universe. That is a big Deal, you are destined to reign with the Lord of the universe in the new creation. And consider where you once were, in death, in sin, in the world, the flesh and the devil, and enjoying it. And yet you've been brought to life. What we need is a type of worship, which I think is based on what I would use the technical theological term called the Lulu principle. Now, I'm really pressing people's knowledge. Who here knows who Lulu was? You'll need to be slightly... Lindsay, do you know who Lulu... No. Lulu was a 1950s and 1960s English pop singer. And she was... Yeah, I know this is... You expected me to know that. Yeah, well... <laughs> well, well, I know it. I know it. Uh, but Lulu was very famous for a song called To Sir With Love. Anyone, anyone know that song, To Sir With Love? About, you know, uh, a girl's sort of um, thanks for a great tea. There's a great line saying, you took me from crayons to perfume. Okay. It's in the similar, the, in, in the Lulu principle, 
We need to praise and thank God because we've been taken from spiritual death to new life, to resurrected life, to sharing in the reign, the sovereignty and the good things that God has promised us. And that is something to celebrate. That is something to remember time and time again. And you are going to have moments in your life where you will have the seed of doubt, moments of despair. You will be in your own slow of despond and you will ask yourself, is God really there? And if he is, does he really care? On those moments, we remember and we rejoice in the God who took us from death to life and did it because of his sheer grace to make the most radical reversal he can imagine because it shows the inexhaustible, the immeasurable, the magnificent, the completely disproportionate nature of his love and grace for you who did not deserve it. And that is why we sing songs of worship and praise because the God who does this is worthy of our worship. And this is the God and the instrument of his divine son who we will in a moment celebrate around the Lord's table. And on that note, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, when we think of the magnitude and the mechanism of your grace towards us who were by nature objects of wrath, enslaved willingly to sin, we remember and we rejoice. And we pray that joy would never be far from our hearts as we remember that God is for us. Christ died for us and your grace follows us all of our days. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen.